The common lectionary gives us this passage from the Gospel according to Luke for our consideration this morning, Luke chapter 6. Both Matthew and Luke tell us that Jesus preached the most famous sermon in history in Galilee. Um, and in both places, in Luke and Matthew, he begins this Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, or the Sermon on the Plain in Luke, with a list of principles called the Beatitudes. This is Luke's version. Then Jesus looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor now, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. And blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and defame you on account of the Son of Man. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you. Pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. So Jesus preached the most famous sermon in history in his native tongue of Aramaic, and Luke recorded it in Greek, and we read it in English. But Rome ran the church for a thousand years, so most of our important churchy words are Latin, right? Like Gloria and Magnificat and Benedictus and Requiem and Nuctaminus, and also Beatitudes from the Latin Beati, the first word of every Beatitude, beati, blessed, happy, fortunate. Blessed, happy, fortunate are you when you are poor. So we typically, Matthew gives us eight blessings, eight beatitudes, and Luke turns Matthew's eight blessings into four happies and four woes. So we typically consult Matthew when we want to think about the benedictions, the beatitudes, because he's a little more politic, right? Where Luke gives us the blunt, exclusionary, blessed are the poor. Matthew sands off the edges of that a little bit by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. And where Luke gives us the blunt, blessed are the hungry, Matthew sort of deflects that right hook and softens it a little bit and says, blessed are you who hunger for righteousness. So in Luke, it's, Blessed are the poor, the hungry, the sad, and the reviled. Woe to the rich, the filled, the happy, and the popular. Woe is me. So when we consult the Beatitudes, we usually look at the Gospel of Matthew, and there's no mystery to that, because we can find ourselves here, right? We might be rich, but still poor in spirit, and we might be filled with nourishment, but still hunger and thirst after righteousness, but we can't find ourselves here except among the woes. Woe to the rich, woe to the filled, woe to the happy, woe to the popular, woe is me. The great Episcopalian preacher Barbara Brown Taylor said that we ought to call Luke's Beatitudes the woeitudes, And I think she's got a point, right? And I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but it looks as if Luke probably more faithfully captures what Jesus originally said. It's one of the most fundamental rules of biblical scholarship, maybe the most important one. 
If you've got two readings of what Jesus originally said and you're trying to determine, to determine what he actually spoke way back there at the beginning, you take the harder one. So it's easier to believe that Matthew softened a difficult saying of Jesus like, Blessed are the poor, than that Luke took a relatively benign saying of Jesus like, Blessed are the poor in spirit, and made it deliberately harder. So how is this text, God's word, for us today? We're rich, not poor. We're filled, not hungry. We're happy, not sad. And we're popular, not reviled. Solidly in the woe Because it seems as if we are blessed, right? We have all these great things in our lives. And that's exactly what they call, we, we call them. We call them blessings. They're gifts from God. So the homes that shelter us and the communities that keep us safe and the schools that teach our children and the sleek automobiles that deliver us wherever we want to go and the salaries which stock our pantries and our 401ks, these are all blessings because that's what they are. They're God's gift to us. Why does all this stuff put us among the woeitudes? Yesterday we were walking the dog on Asbury Avenue and a car pulled into a driveway and as it did so the tires cracked a coating of ice on the driveway. It was very loud. Pop, pop, pop. It went. And I said, that sounds like gunfire. And my wife said, were you thinking about Aurora? And I said, I guess I was. And then she said, you know, I don't think I've ever heard gunfire in my life. Then she stopped herself and said, oh, yes, I did. Once in Honduras. She was on a dental mission trip. And so it's such a blessing that we live in a community where we, except for rare exceptions, where we never hear gunfire. So maybe this is God's word. This text is God's word for us in two ways. Two things for privileged folk like we are to remember the good things in our lives, our gifts, not entitlements. And secondly, the good things in our life are not ultimate, but penultimate. It's not where we should lodge our trust. So first, the blessings in our lives are just that. They're blessings. They're gifts. God gave them to us. We didn't deserve them. We didn't even earn them for the most part. We work hard, we study hard, we reach up towards honesty and honor and dignity and industry. But most of us were born on third base. These are all gifts to us. And these good things don't make us superior to the poor, the hungry, the sad, or the reviled. And maybe this is God's word to me today because I don't always treat God's favorites with respect. I sometimes disrespect the people God blesses. I am so irritated, for example, when a panhandler approaches my car with a plastic bucket at an exit ramp off the Kennedy. But maybe Jesus is reminding me today to change my attitude. In the 90s, I served the Westminster Presbyterian Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Westminster is a downtown congregation situated solidly in the city's skid row. Our building was surrounded by single-room occupancy hotels and a homeless shelter and a soup kitchen and a free medical clinic and a couple of establishments with red lights above the alleyway entrance. Many of our neighbors were virtually homeless, and many of them were 
mentally challenged. Now, a few of these folks were members of my church, but most of my members drove into the church from the Winnetka-like suburbs in their BMWs and so forth. And one Sunday morning, my friend Simon, Simon was a member, was an elder in my church, a member of my board of trustees, well-dressed, distinguished. He was, he looked a little bit like Dick Cheney and acted like him too. He was taller and thinner, but white hair, 60-something, very distinguished and sophisticated. And this guy came up to him on crutches and he said, Mr., will you help me out? I haven't eaten in two days. I need $10 for breakfast. And we always tried to tell our members, no handouts, no cash. It's not helpful to enable an alcohol or a drug addiction, but sometimes their hearts got the better of them. And this happened to Simon on that morning, and so he gave this mendicant not a $10 bill, but a $20 bill. And then Cy went into worship where in this quiet place where the rich people talked to Jesus. And we were done with worship. He was driving home, and he noticed that the mendicant was striding briskly into the local tavern with the crutches slung over his shoulders. As far as I know, this establishment did not serve breakfast. Do you remember the lame beggar Eddie Murphy played in the 1983 Trading Places, 1983 film Trading Places. Thank you, Jesus. Praise Jesus, I'm healed. But so what? These are God's favorites. Never disrespect the people God blesses. So maybe we need secure border control. Maybe that's important. But we have to remember that the vast, vast, vast majority of the people who are trying to sneak into this country are not drug dealers, but families fleeing gunfire in Honduras. In the summer of 2017, the temperature along the border in Arizona routinely reached 100 degrees. And so four women snuck into a wilderness area along the border and stashed jugs of water and cans of food at sporadic places for the refugees who would be crossing. And they were arrested, I think, for trespassing and convicted and face six months in prison. What kind of country do we live in? What would Jesus think about this? Never disrespect the people God blesses. That's the first thing. Second thing is, I need to keep my priorities straight. Do I own my stuff or does my stuff own me? We are made whole and hale and well, not by the tangible, but by the invisible. Do you know who Gary Steingart is? Gary Steingart is a Russian-American humorist who wrote the book Absurdistan, among other witty satires. A while back, Gary wrote an article for The New Yorker in which he confessed his obsession with wristwatches. He likes expensive wristwatches. And in that article, he admitted that when something bad happens in his life, he tries to make himself feel better by buying a wristwatch an expensive one, like a Rolex or a Nomos. I don't know what a Nomos is, but Gary's watches average $5,000. And so I love this guy. 
um, because I have a mild obsession with watches myself. Now, I don't have as much money as Gary, so mine are all less than $100, but I have about 10 of them. So, and this is my favorite. This is, this is actually a fairly expensive watch, at least by my standards. This is Shinola, the kind that they make in Detroit, right? So in my world, this is an expensive watch. My niece gave me this watch when I married her two years ago. This is my favorite. So, and, and in this article, Gary Steingart says that he confessed his addiction to watches to a fellow uh, watch geek friend of his. And this watch geek friend says about watch collectors, there's some rot in the oak of their soul that can be patched up only by watches. So I'm going to be careful not to try to patch the rot in the oak of my soul with stuff. We um, spend the month of August in the Leelanau Peninsula in Michigan. It's the tip of the pinky in Michigan here, Grand Traverse Bay, Lake Michigan here. And we've been doing this for 23 years. And one of the most uh, gratifying things about it is the recovery of the bald eagle population. It's a very healthy bald eagle population in the Leelanau Peninsula. There was a touching story in the Michigan newspapers last week. Uh, this happened on Grand Traverse Bay, just south of Sutton's Bay, Michigan. A bald eagle was trapped in the ice along Lake Michigan. He had an eight-pound bowling ball of ice trapped to his tail. Now, a mature bald eagle weighs about nine pounds, so obviously he couldn't fly with this bowling ball attached to his tail. And some guys from Wings of Wonder, a raptor sanctuary and rehab center in Empire, Michigan, trapped him and took him home and melted this bowling ball of ice, stuck to his tail, and the eagle stayed in the sanctuary for a couple of nights. And a couple of days later, hundreds gathered in the parking lot of Sutton's Bay High School to witness the release of the eagle, and they cheered raucously when this eagle flew away. And it was very touching, this predator of the great blue beyond regaining his freedom. And this story reminded me of another story that Harry Emerson Fosdick told about 60 years ago. Harry Emerson Fosdick may have been the greatest white American preacher of the 20th century. John D. Rockefeller Jr. built Riverside Church in Manhattan's Morningside Heights so that Dr. Fosdick would have a large and spectacular forum from which to preach the good news. And about 60 years ago, Dr. Fosdick told a story about a cold, cold winter morning on the Niagara River when a raptor landed on a carcass that was floating in the river. I don't know if it was a hawk or a falcon or an eagle or a, a vulture, but this bird stayed feeding on this carcass for a long time. And then when the thunder of the falls grew more deafening, the bird tried to fly away, but it was too late. The talons had frozen to the carcass. And so that story prompted me to ask myself, do I have an eight-pound bowling ball stuck to my tail? Or can I fly away free from the good things God has given me? So many wonderful riches in our lives, some of them necessities, some of them luxuries. And they're all blessings. They're all gifts. It's all good. It's all grace. 
It's all God. But in his beatitudes and his woeitudes, Jesus is trying to tell us to be more like the poor, the hungry, the sad, and the reviled because they have nothing solid to rely on but God, God's self. Thereby, they are blessed in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen.